Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Today, we have Karen Maloney with us, and she is just a lovely Irish gal who has so much wisdom inside of her. And I have lots of questions for her about healing, energetic healing and emotional healing. She coaches people and she works with individual clients. And she has just a wide ranging breadth of understanding about how we can work through emotions that aren't serving us and and working with past life memories and ancestral things that are holding us back and how to get out of the victim role. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. Remember to like, subscribe, share, and leave a comment because I love to hear what you think about the show and about this episode in particular. So let's talk to Karen. Hi, everybody. I got Karen with us. How fun is this? You are going to love, love, love her. Karen, welcome. Oh, Julie, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and to join you in this capacity this time as you've joined me a couple of times on my podcast. So I'm excited. I know. And what a delight. Everybody, she's just extraordinary. And you're going to see why here as we go through this. But let's just jump in. What's an energy therapist? You call yourself an energy therapist. What does that mean? Yeah, so I use that word because I've been attuned and trained in different modalities, including Reiki, integrated energy therapy, and another same, same, but different silent counseling. And I'd actually even put breathwork under energy as well. For me, they're all different types of energy therapies. So I had seen that word used before and I was like, well, that's a nice way to kind of pack them all under one as opposed to, to listing them because I believe we are all energy. Everything is energy. And a lot of the these different modalities as well are based on different principles, you know, from traditional Chinese medicine and the chi and prana that is carried through the body, the energy meridian system. And when there's blockages in these, they can present into different manifestations and illnesses and all sorts of things. So that for me is what an energy therapist is, or that that word, they're the different umbrellas that it brings in for me. All right, let's unpack that a little bit. <laughs> what is breath work? What's an inside out coach? You call yourself an inside out coach. And mm -hmm. what's, is it silent canceling or counseling? Cou counseling. Counseling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. can you give us a, give us a brief well, overview of those three different modalities that you use in your energy therapy work? Yeah. Well, I'll start first of all with inside out coach. That's kind of what I call myself. That was a name that just 
came to me when I was trying to figure out moving on this path and sharing with others what do I call myself and how do I bring this to people who are looking to make changes in their life to feel better and all these different things. So that name came to me. And the more that I go deeper on my journey, the more I'm like, oh, that's the best name ever, because I truly believe we do live in an inside out world. We are the creators of our reality, but we're not awake to it. We're not conscious to this. And for me personally, when I kind of discovered some of these truths and started changing fundamentally some of my beliefs and how I was thinking and all these different things I carried within, it naturally had an effect on the external world as opposed to just focusing on the end piece and trying to change that. So that's Inside Out Coach for me. That's what I call myself. Breathwork, I trained in that earlier this year, it came into my life a couple of years ago. And this is known as somatic breathwork or transformational breathwork. So it's a very activating type of breathwork. It's not the the kind of pranayamic yogic relaxation breathwork that we're aware of, that most of us are familiar of. And I know when I first heard the word breathwork, I was kind of like, what is that? Like, I know how to breathe. I know how to slow down my breath and calm my nervous system. So what else is there? And it turns out there's quite a bit, actually. And so it's this, it really is somatic. And that was the huge piece for me when I first joined my first breathwork journey, because it's about a two hour session all in. What was going on in my body and the sensations and the emotions and the feelings that were coming up was something I had never experienced before, ever with any other modality. And it was something that I personally needed to tap into as well, because I was very cut off my emotions. I was very shut down. I lived in my head. My body was just kind of this thing that followed me around. I had no connection with it per se. So it's really interesting. And it brings us beyond the thinking mind. So the, the way we breathe, or our thinking mind kind of goes offline. It's a phenomenon known as transient hypofrontality, which temporarily restricts blood flow to our monkey brain or beta brain. So then we're in a very, we're in our subconscious. It's a very different state. And a lot of people sometimes in these kind of journeys as well can have very transcendental moments because, and it's happened to me a couple of times, not every time, because I don't know what's, What's, when it's going to click or when something is going to take over. And it sounds take over like, you know, something scary. It's never felt scary. But literally, my body has nearly come alive and moved and contorted. And these kind of sounds coming out of me in one sense that it's kind of mind blowing. So that's kind of the breathwork in a, in a sense. And there's so many benefits to it as well. And especially, I think, for people who maybe have been struggling to make change or to really get a shift in their perspective or start to open their mind to something new, I think it could be really powerful because when we liberate some of that energy from the body, well, our nervous system is calmer, but we also, and I personally have never experienced a clarity and a groundedness like it. So I believe there's huge potential there and I just love it. And silent counseling, I trained in a couple of years ago 
as well. And like that, it was something that had came across my path. I'd never heard about it. It was developed by two energy psychologists in Scotland, actually, who had worked a lot with people with addictions. And one day this young girl came into their office and she was so traumatized by her past that she actually couldn't speak about what had happened to her, which is true. You know, sometimes to talk about it when we haven't cleared some of the energy yet is more traumatizing. So they just thought quickly on their feet and they started using muscle testing and breath as well to help her unburden some of this energy and some of this trauma. So it she eventually could speak about these things and do more clearing and healing. So that's kind of how it started. And it's 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 like tapping, if anyone knows EFT or tapping. So it works on the meridian system, but it uses touch, acupressure, and uh, a gentle type of breath to help release that energy as well. And it uses muscle testing. So you can see where in a person the blockages are in the first place. So it's that bit more targeted and specific. So again, super powerful. All these modalities, what they've taught me is how incredible our body is, the wisdom and the intelligence that it holds, how it is programmed for healing, but it does need our input. And when we learn and often engage in these types of modalities to support our body as well, bring it back into balance, it knows what to do. And that's not to say things just change overnight, but it's really powerful what's possible when yeah, when we work with the body in this way. I always say everything can be healed and sometimes the healing is death. And Remember you shared that with me before. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. I've seen miraculous things happen with people mm. who, I talked to a woman this morning, a client who has a tumor in her abdomen and I got mm. her on my radar and I said, okay, I'm seeing this tumor, but it looks like a prune that's dried up, that's drying up. And her, uh, uh, that's what it looked like, a, a drying up prune, not all the way, but it was drying up. She said, I've been working on it every day with visualization. So I said, well, you go girl, because you're, you're getting it done. Mm. And, mm -hmm. and it's all about helping the person heal themselves. That's what you do. That's what I do. That's what every medical provider does. Nobody heals anybody else. We just mm -hmm. are there with them on their journey as they're yeah. healing themselves. Interesting. Back to the breath work for a second. When you were talking about that, Karen, it made me think of, is it something similar to what people that go on an ayahuasca retreat will experience? Funny you say that because I have done plant medicines as well. And absolutely, I believe we can get to the same levels. And actually, breath work for me and that whole somatic, you know, clearing from the body, feeling, opening up to the subconscious on a somatic physical level is something that the medicines could never do for me. I believe they have the capacity and I've seen other people really kind of going for it and it looks like they're having the worst experience ever. But afterwards, then they're like, oh, my God, that was so amazing because and this is something I've learned as well, not to judge the outside, because although it can look like they're going through pain and torture and all these kind of things, it's, you know, we're a channel 
And our body holds so much that we may be aware of and also that we're not aware of. And even from ancestors and generations past and the collective. So it's always really empowering for me when I do these kind of things. And even if it feels really rough at the time, afterwards, it always feels amazing and I feel lighter. And again, that's not to say that it's a magic pill or there's a one solution fits all. No, the biggest part of doing any of these kind of really deeper subconscious somatic plant medicine, like neuro neuroplasticity type things, I think the, the biggest part as well is the integration. If we're not willing to work with what comes up, I've actually seen some people from the plant medicines nearly not be worse off after, but it's nearly like they run even faster because, you know, things come up. Society is perfect for us to avoid, to numb out, to distract ourselves. And I know I was that person as well because I was never taught how to feel my emotions, how to be with them, how to process them, how to just allow them and not feel all consumed by them. And I think many of us aren't taught taught that. So when they come up, sometimes we don't know what to do. So we just keep avoiding and suppressing and kind of numbing out. And I think in these kind of modalities, they do help bring things more to the surface that you can see them from a different perspective, gain new insight and clarity. But again, that doesn't mean that it's instantly shift shifts. There may be still some work that we need to do and that's my personal responsibility to fully clear it and heal it and integrate it. Because I believe when we go through experiences and when we clear some of the energy and we no longer have that huge emotional reaction to something, because I believe if we think of something and it brings up a huge emotional reaction still, I'm a prisoner to that. So it's my work to clear that. And then if I can think back on something and it doesn't bring up that huge emotional trigger or response, then I can gain the wisdom from it. Then I can learn. Then I can grow from it. Then I can see what gifts might have been there for me. So I do believe there are a lot of similarities between both of them. And one of the other things about breathwork that I really love as well is one, it's more accessible to people. Because the plant medicines, not everyone is going to do. They're really powerful and I have such reverence and respect for them. And nature is so incredible, but they're not for everyone, you know. And I think even for me as well, there was that piece of ingesting something that I didn't know what was going to happen. That sense of not being in control, I actually stopped a lot of my process, but definitely the first time. But then I kind of built some trust. But I remember the first time I was like, whatever happens, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And I kept talking myself through it. So essentially, again, the medicine is not going to do the work for me. So if I'm totally controlling and blocking, not much is happening. And I think with the breath work, I'm always in control because one, I have to breathe. And if ever it feels too intense, if I just stop the act of breathing, everything just calms down again. So because I don't know, in my psyche, I have that feeling that allows me to go deeper. And because I know I can, I'm always in control. And it's also empowering in the sense of I have to breathe. If I decide to zone out and fall asleep, 
again, I don't get to access my own medicine. Whereas when I re- breathe really deep and go into it and feel safe, it's amazing what what can happen and that sense of empowerment and I'm not helpless and there's always something I can do for myself. Great answer. I teach people how to do all the woo-woo stuff that I do and I always say, you can get in there immediately, no drugs needed. You don't mm-hmm. need to go on some quest, you know, in the Himalayas Completely. or wherever. You mm-hmm. do it instantly. And it's amazing the things that we can see in our mind's eye. And that's what you're talking about with the breath work. But it's you, you don't need any of that stuff. I mean, you can just learn how to do it and turn it on and off at will. Do you come Absolutely. from a spiritual family? I know you're <laughs> Irish. Obviously, anybody listening to you can tell that. And Ireland has such a magical, I think, mm. mysterious component to its history. And yeah. I, I love all the, the fairies and leprechauns and the, you know, all that kind of jazz. And I think that the Irish in general are very mystical people, certainly their ancestors. Mm-hmm. And I want to touch on ancestors and also uh, releasing emotions and stuff as we get further into this conversation. But tell us about growing up in Ireland and how did that influence your interest in spiritual things? And do you come from a spiritual family? Mm. Great question. And it's really funny because no, I wouldn't say I come from a spiritual family. I mean, the Catholic Church when I was growing up had a huge grip on Ireland. And, you know, we went to Mass. It's what you did. There was no way out of it. You just go to Mass every Sunday. And that kind of religious hold, not that my parents were very strict, but yet we had to go to Mass. There was no question about it. So, there was that element. I have often thought of this and I'm, I was like, why do my family completely accept me and these being the black sheep and all these woo-woo and esoteric things that I am into? Because I always thought that was the way it was. But I've met many people on this path who know their family thinks they're crazy, that they should just you know get a real job or whatever the story is. And I was like, wow. And it really got me thinking. But my granddad on my dad's side was a seventh son of a seventh son. And in Ireland, I've got goosebumps, in Ireland, a seventh son of a seventh son had healing powers. My granddad used to cure ringworm. People would come to him from all over Ireland. But it's funny, it was not something that was a big deal. It was just kind of like, oh, he has this gift. This is what happens. It wasn't connected to kind of this spiritual thing. He was a butcher. He was a farmer. He worked during the day. And this is what he did on the side if people came to him. It was kind of like this gift. It wasn't, it was just very normal, not seen as anthem amazing. It's just kind of like, well, you're a seventh son of a seventh son. you, So you have this gift, end of. But now I'm like, okay, well, clearly because of that as well, there was some some idea or sense of, well, maybe there is something else. Maybe there is something to the non-physical part of us as well. And I'm like, that's obviously why maybe my family just kind of accepted what I was doing as well. So there was that, but I can't say it was very 
everything outside of that was totally normal. It was daily life. You you do as everyone else did. There was no woo-woo, airy-fairy. And I was always drawn to those kind of books when I was younger. And like, I loved the library. I still love libraries. I still love books. And reading about these kind of esoteric things and people who had made change in their life and kind of more spiritual topics felt like just my secret. I didn't really understand it, but I loved it. I was like, wow, this is so fascinating. So, you know, that was probably the start for me as well, that I've always kind of had this part, but I didn't really know that there was kind of any truth in it per se. I just thought it was like a hobby or an interest that I really liked. Today is my Irish girl day because I talked to a client from Galway this morning. Oh, no way. And, and wow. she's so cute because we talked, we talked one time about fairies and leprechauns mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And she said, she said it's so much a part of the national ethos, if you will, that we don't even think about it. But she said, a farmer is going to plow around a fairy tree, which is like a bush with thorns on it. The Mm -hmm. farmer will not cut it down. Even if the Mm -hmm. farmer doesn't believe in any of this stuff, he is, he is going to plow that field around that fairy tree. And I said, really? And she said, oh Mm -hmm. yeah. And she said, when they take down fairy trees because they're developing in an area, she said the townspeople get really upset about that yeah and and I think that's just fascinating father Sean O'Lara I've had on this show and his he grew up in Ireland and his grandfather and his grandmother raised him his grandfather was a druid and his grandmother was a mystic and he said that she had a, a stronger connection with the Virgin Mary and talked to her all day long out loud than mm. she, she had a stronger relationship with her than she did with any of her family. And he said mm. he just grew up with that. And it was interesting yeah. because she brought the religious side of the equation and he was bringing the ancient, you know, Druid side of the equation mm. and it all merged together and he ended up becoming a priest and and he said that stuff's all interwoven mm-hmm. in the work that he does he said you can't take it out of us it's just mm-hmm. part of the it's part of our dna growing up in ireland yeah. would you agree with that? that yeah and it's funny again you know that didn't come to my mind but absolutely there was a fairy fort near us where we lived you know all these kind of ring forts and yeah you would never uh do anything with them. And as you say, even the most superstitious person or farmer just would not touch it. It's like, that's fairy fortune. You don't go near it. You leave it as it is. And all these, you know, wells. And I, well, I can't say I knew as a child, there was a lot of mysticism, but definitely having got older, I learned a lot about, not a huge amount either, but I learned more about the mythology, the history, the connection to the land, the Druids, the wisdom. And it's funny, even traveling, and I met a lot of Mexican people who are fascinated with Ireland. I don't know why per se, or maybe because I've just spent so much time in Mexico, but they know so much of the history and the mythology and that mysticism, and they're just fascinated by it. And yeah, it is it is really cool. And we are an older country. And I definitely, I think we lost a lot of it. Um, I saw a lot of people, and probably that's why when I left at one stage as well during the boom, and um, 
there's an airplane flying overhead. I don't know if you hear that. But um, there, yeah, I think we lost a lot of that connection for a while. You know, it's like, oh, modern life. And now we have money and spend and the mod cons. But I do see a shift in it again. And I've seen a huge shift in the last couple of years, even going home. People are so much more open now to spirituality, to other modalities, to meditation, to yoga, to cacao ceremonies, to all sorts of things that back in the day, people would think it was very religious, not so much spiritual. You know, it was very much God is watching you and has all the power and the rest it's hard to explain because even though there was a lot of the mysticism and the mythology and the fairies and they believed in that, it was still very separate and anything else was a bit woo-woo and crazy if you were doing things in that space. But I think it's definitely changing again and more of it is coming back and more of that innateness in us. Well, I think that's what the church did. And I'm cradle Catholic like you, you know, 12 years of Catholic schools. But I think that's what they did was as it spread, they were trying to get rid of the mysticism and the paganism, not just in Ireland, but all over the world, certainly with the the indigenous cultures and and things like that. And really, at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. it's all the same thing. It's just a different version of it or a different interpretation or perspective of it. The, you know, the Nordic cultures that have all the mysticism stuff with the elves and the gnomes and all that stuff. Well, it's leprechauns in Ireland and fairies, right? Mm -hmm. But it's all the same thing. Yeah. I find that fascinating. I got to ask you, though, what's a fairy fort? Well, it literally just looked like a like a circular, just like a, a, a circular patch in the field surrounded by trees that was all grassy. It was sunken a little, but not not hugely. And it was it was a fairy fort. That's where the fairies lived. That's where the fairies hung out. That's where the magic happened. And yeah, you didn't you didn't interfere. You didn't interact. And it it held some kind of magic as well. But again. Well, certainly in my time, there wasn't the connection, you know, to to go explore and talk to them and work with them. It was more, that's the fairy fort, you leave it alone. And it was just there for generations? Yeah, well, from when I was growing up, my parents knew of it and yeah, it was just... Interesting. I never heard of a fairy mm-hmm. fort, but yeah. it's fascinating. Do you think that as you look back on your life, that you had an intuitive ability that helped guide you in your early life and is still guiding you today? And do you think that everybody comes in with intuitive abilities? Yeah. I think, you know, when I was home these two months, I've just got two new nephews, two boys, twins, and they're just so cute. And looking at them, I'm just like, oh, my God, these are just pure balls of consciousness and energy. Like, they're just such purity and magic and innocence. And I was like, oh, they're going to be everything that they they pick up from society, from culture, everything that's programmed into them and all these kind of things. So I do believe we come in 
and I've heard other people talk about this as well in spiritual teachers and that, that we come in awake or when we come into this, this reality, this human spacesuit, we forget. And I believe part of the journey is awakening again, remembering the bigger truth of ourselves so we can use that as an ally and as a force through this simulation, this reality, this 3D that we're in that can be really challenging and difficult at times. So when I look back now, I'm like, yeah, I was definitely connected to something, but I didn't know. And I was completely trying to fit in and be that perfect human. And I was stifled with perfectionism and really trying really hard to tick boxes to do what was expected. But yet I felt really different and I thought very different to people, but it just wasn't it wasn't like there was another option. But I remember there's, and now when I look back, it's like, oh, it all kind of connects. And I remember there was a couple of times where, you know, I wouldn't know what to do. I'd be at a crossroads. I'd have driven myself insane, trying to overanalyze, think through a million things and this, that, and the other. And one of the things was studying Spanish for university. When it came to university, I was like, I have no idea in the whole entire world what I want to do, like how am I meant to know what I want to study. And I remembered from the first time we went on family holidays abroad, we went to Tenerife and I was always freezing in Ireland growing up. I used to always be like, please, to my parents, can you build a new house? I had put it down to the house. I was like, I have all my clothes on me. I'm still really cold. Like, can you build a new house? And they'd be like, uh, no. Um, so I remember the first time we went on family holiday to Tenerife. We were there for two weeks and I literally lived in my swim and togs and I was so happy. And I remember looking at mom one day by the pool and I was like, mom, what language do they speak here? And she was like Spanish. And I was like, I'm going to learn Spanish. And I never, ever, ever thought of that moment ever again until I was looking at these forms for university of what would I study? And it just dropped in. It was like Spanish. I was like, okay, something. I didn't particularly like languages or anything, but I was like, yeah, why not? I just want a year in Spain and, you know, do something different. And I did that. And even from there, that's how I, after I finished university, I had the same experience again of what the hell am I going to do now? Like, I still have no idea what I want to do, but actually I really liked this Spanish thing. But I also felt like Spain wasn't calling me. I was like, mm, been there, done that. And a an email, I have no idea who from to this day came to my college inbox about teaching English in Mexico. And I was like, oh, that's a new country. They speak Spanish. So I applied and, you know, left for Mexico two weeks after my final exams. And all of this seemed really impulsive to a lot of people. And it was so against my nature and how I lived at the time and living in my mind and overthinking. And even though I could not logicalize or rationalize any of these decisions, there was just something in me that it felt right. It just felt like, just do this. And I'd be like, okay, you know, because I'd have exhausted myself nearly mentally on every other level. And that has happened again and again and again and again and again. And now I know to trust the feeling. And it's because of that feeling again, I came back to Mexico 
again a couple of years ago. It wasn't in my mind. So I can see the kind of thread throughout and I can see that, yes, I was very intuitive, but I didn't truly listen or know it until I really was kind of at my wit's end. And I believe we all have that connection. I believe it's the truth of all of us, that higher self, God, universe, spirit, whatever you want to call it, that is here to aid us and support us and help us move through things as well. And, you know, not necessarily follow our true path, because I think there's different ways we can get to different things. But I do believe it is an aid. And I believe that this journey of this reality is waking up again to that and living with that and as that moving through us in this space and reality. I agree with all of that. And I believe that it's perceived by some that there are those that have more intuitive abilities than others. But I think you hit the nail on the head when you said you learn to trust it. We all get that information and most of us just disregard it. We get it all day, every day. And we come up with 5 million reasons why we can't do something. But when you do take that step, and it takes courage sometimes to take that step to go where you're being led. And then you can see how everything in your life has has been positioning you to be able to go forward and do what it is you're being led to do. So I agree with that. Changing directions for a minute, you did a summit and I was delighted to be included in this on your Curiosity and Conscious podcast Mm -hmm. with several guests about healing cancer. And Mm -hmm. what I'd like to know is what are some of the more profound takeaways from those interviews with all of those experts in a bunch of different modalities that involved cancer and involved healing. That's number one. And number two, what, what led you to even do a summit on cancer and on healing cancer? Yeah. Well, I'll start there. And it was my dad. I lost my dad to cancer 12 years ago this summer. And that whole experience and seeing how from the moment he got that diagnosis, just the the fear, the panic, this, this sense of you have no time, you need to do this, this and this straight away. And I remember he even turned to me at one stage and he was like, Karen, I've heard about carrot juice and, you know, different bits. But he just felt like he had no time to do anything other than the chemo, radiation, surgery, whatever. And again, I'm not against those. I'm just sharing my experience. Most of us have busy lives and we know that we're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that we need. So I'm always looking for easy ways to ingest them. I found one, it's called Beam Minerals. And what I find is that most of us don't get enough potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the big three. And so what Beam Minerals does is it's put all these minerals in a liquid form that's easy to drink because it tastes like water. It's got all these important minerals and a whole bunch of other ones. and I find that they're really helpful. They save me time. They're easy to take. And I suggest that you give them a try. 
go to Beam Minerals, B as in boy, E-A-M, minerals, plural, dot com, and use the code Julie Ryan, altogether, no space, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. That's Beam Minerals, B-E-A-M, minerals.com, and use Julie Ryan at checkout, and you'll get a 20% discount. Give it a try and let me know what you think. From the start, honestly, he just had one issue after the next, after the next, after the next. And it was just so horrible seeing him literally wither away and fade away and completely lose himself that maybe 18 months later, he he passed away. You know, he got a he got a cold and he was like, I'm done. No, I am not going back to hospital. No. And during that initial surgery, they actually damaged his ureter. So it was nearly like the cancer, the cancer wasn't the conversation after that. It was just issue after issue after issue. And again, just this, this fear. And I didn't know what I know now. And I didn't know other ways to kind of help him and support him and build up his immune system and all these different things throughout this whole time period. So. When he passed away and initially after, you know, that whole experience, I had such fear of the word cancer, which most people do. It's a loaded word. And I thought if that was ever to happen to me, I'd be like, just put me down, do whatever. I'm not trying anything. Because all I knew kind of at that time was the the allopathic. And after having seen my dad's experience, I'm like, I don't want that. So Whatever my other chances are, I'm like, I'm out. I don't want that. So I'll enjoy my life, but I'm not doing that. And then I started just being curious because I was like, okay, well, having such fear is probably not a good thing. So I just started reading and being curious. And again, these things were intuitively led to me. And I just completely changed my perspective. And it's like, okay, I'll... That's how I really learned as well about how incredible the body is and how when cancer or something else presents, it's not the body giving up. It's not the body going, see ya, I'm out of here. I believe it's the body's true call for help that there's been decades, years, lifetimes of neglect, of abuse, of And again, unconscious, you know, not exercising, bad eating habits, bad mental thoughts, unprocessed trauma, emotions in the body, that it's a real call for help when something presents. The body's like, I'm kind of drowning now. I'm hitting my limit. I need your help. And I don't believe it's a death sentence as in I'm on the way out. I actually believe everything is reversible, like you said as well. But again, it's not going to just happen for us. And sometimes, and I think we're sold as well, this picture of a quick fix and a magic pill, and it doesn't exist. I believe anything is possible. But again, for things to present sometimes as well, even for like a tumor, they say it can take between eight and 15 years before it shows up. So you've already been living with it for eight or 15 years, unbeknownst to you. So most of the time when something presents, if it's not on your brain or a major artery, you know, you have a little bit of time. And also for the length of time that it took to appear, it's also going to take some time to reverse. It's also going to take some years to reverse, not necessarily eight or 15, 
But I think that's a reality we have to be willing to accept as well, that it does take time and that's okay. That is totally okay. So through all just learnings, curiosities, realizing that actually the body is pretty spectacular and it is programmed for healing and how all these things that we have heard about, about diet, stress, lifestyle, exercise, healthy eating, they actually do make a difference. And I was working with the Heart and Stroke Charity at the time, and they were all about prevention. And, you know, they would talk about how up to 98% of cardiovascular events can be prevented through lifestyle and diet. And, you know, they're chronic, they're chronic issues. They're, they're lifestyle issues. They're, they're not kind of, you know, what's the word, you know, if someone has an accident or is in a really bad car accident, like that's interventional. I think that's where allopathic is beyond phenomenal in those emergency situations, which sometimes, again, a cancer can be if it needs surgery on some part. But I don't believe it's always the only answer because it's the bigger picture of the chronic lifestyle issues and not even just the lifestyle. I think a part that was left out as well was the emotional and the mental aspect. And I remember years ago around a table of friends when someone had mentioned a friend was like, oh, so, so-and-so has been diagnosed with cancer and, oh, it's, you know, she was the picture perfect health and didn't smoke and didn't whatever. And I said, yeah, but there's always, what about her emotions? Like, we don't know what anyone is living with inside. I don't care how close you are. We have no idea what's going on inside of someone else, that inner talk and those emotions. And they just laughed at me. They thought I was absolutely crazy to even say that there could be some unprocessed trauma or emotions or that self-talk. But I just kept learning because for me, something was connecting. For me, something felt true. So I was like, okay, that's totally fine. And because of through my own learnings, and again, I made huge shifts in my life and, you know, swapping out things, being more conscious of what I'm ingesting, what I'm putting on my skin, what I'm listening to, what I'm thinking, you know, it's kind of started this whole path for me in one sense, even though I believe I was kind of on it anyway, without realizing. But the biggest thing is it took all the fear out of it for me. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's complex. Yes, it's multifaceted. Yes, I believe it's different for every single person, how it shows up and also how they need to approach their thinking, their um, treatments and all that kind of thing. But I don't believe it's impossible. And because of some close friends been diagnosed as well, that really, I was like, I just can't stay silent anymore. And, you know, everyone's allowed to think and believe what they want. And not everyone wants to hear this information, especially when it comes to cancer, because it's it's such a loaded word that I think sometimes a lot of people think if I don't follow the conventional route, that's my best option. Whereas you can do that and you can do other things. And the people I've connected with, they've done a mix and they've been people who have survived themselves. And, you know, like that, some went totally alternative. Others went allopathic and then added in. Others did a mix of both. And I believe, again, whatever feels true for the person, 
is fine. I, I trust people to trust to know what's right for them. And I, I believe they should be empowered to make that decision. So I just wanted to connect people to share something as well, because I was like, it's not I mean, I can't say it's not as scary as it sounds. It is a big deal. It is scary. But I don't believe it's impossible. And it's really funny. Some of the commonalities that came through in every single conversation was one mindset. Every single person that I connected with, I think, mentioned mindset and the importance of that inner talk. And you mentioned the word earlier as well. A lot of people who had it they use visualization as well. They started visualizing wherever it was in their body, seeing it as a bright light, seeing it as, you know, shriveling like a prune, however it was for them. Also, yeah, you know, the the lifestyle things and the patience. The patience to know that this can be undone. And everyone as well who went through it, they see it now as the greatest gift because it was that call for a reset. It was that call for the way you're healthy, the way you are living is not healthy. It is not helping you. Things need to change. And everyone afterwards, especially because you don't always get that message when you're in it. But afterwards, every single person who came through it and survived sees it as one of the greatest gifts in their life in helping them to really wake up to the ways that they were living that were literally killing them and not supportive. And again, feeling empowered that they have so much control over themselves and their cells. Yes, there is a lot that we don't have control over, but it's the science of epigenetics as well that Bruce Lipton talks about the the actual genetic part of disease is like 5% or something like that. The rest is 95%. And it's the environment that we put ourselves in that they respond to. So if we change that environment that our cells are living in in the first place through the detoxing, the healthy eating, the exercising, the healthy thinking, the visualization, the mindset, the emotional work, that literally changes our biochemistry. So something new has to express. Like that's just science and law. But again, it's not just a, I do it once and that's enough. It's I have to fundamentally change my environment, my everything to express this consistently in a new way. I agree. And it's been my experience that there's always an emotional component mm. in place long before any kind of medical situation arises, a less than optimal medical situation, I, sh I would say. And there's always a tear in the energy-filled membrane, which is the yeah. container that holds the energy that makes up the body and the spirit 100% of the time, mm. always, always. And it's caused by an emotional event, yeah. either in this life or a past life. And it's amazing what we come up with when we go in and we find what's going on. And if it's a past life thing, oftentimes we can corroborate the information we get with historic documents that we can access yeah. online. It's it's always fascinating to do that. And I always say, you can't make this stuff up. You know, and you know. I, I, I love the way you work and I don't have that ability to see things in that way. But the way I've 
gone and, you know, learnings and my personal work and working with others and reading and learning from others, I'm like, oh, it makes total sense. I'm like, absolutely. You know, we are this bigger thing. And I completely believe that things happen and an initial imprint on another level that if not looked at eventually shows up and shows up in the body. Actually, um, in breathwork as well, I always share this um, quote before we go in. It's from an indigenous, it's an indigenous kind of, it's not a quote, it's the way they live. And for me, and again, even with the breathwork and different things, I'm like, oh my God, it's absolutely true. But it's every feeling that we ignore becomes lodged in the body as tension. Every emotion unexpressed becomes locked in as pain and every self-defeating thought gets registered in the body and can manifest as stress, anxiety, depression, and eventually dis-ease. And if you send that to me, I'll I'll post it in the show notes. I would love that. That That for me is just like, whoa. And, you know, that's one thing from breathwork as well that I have experienced, I've always carried so much tension and tightness in my body that breathwork has helped me release. When I read that, I'm like, whoa, I don't even know what it is. Some of it, yes, I do. Some of the images I've had as well during my process. And, you know, this sense of, I remember this one time, it was really intense, but it was really powerful and beautiful. I was, it felt like I was screaming, no. And I felt like just these lifetimes of screaming no. And every time that I bit my tongue, that I didn't stand up for myself, that, you know, I I didn't honor my no. And I've got goosebumps as well as I'm saying that. And it's just like, oh, my God, I don't even know what's clearing, but I am going with this. And again, it's it's also taught me and shown me the power of the body and how actually it does remember things on a cellular level that we're not maybe aware of. And we don't always have to be aware of, I don't think either. I think what we need to work with, we will know. But things that clear and move through and then kind of go, that's okay. I don't need to keep going back and be like, oh, what was that? And do it again, do it again. So yeah, for me anyway, that that quote, every time I'm like, whoa, I don't know what emotions and feelings and suppressed stuff. I'm like, yes, thank you, universe. I, I will be the channel. Thank you, body. Let it out. Yeah, that's profound. I agree. I do want to get into the releasing of emotions and all of Mm -hmm. that. But first, I know you're a voracious reader. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us, let's say three books that you've read out of all of your library that have had the most impact on you and your life? Wow. If you had to pick Um, three, what would they be? Yeah. Well, the first one I definitely know comes to mind because it it completely cracked something new within me. And it's a really simple book. It's called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari by Robert <laughs> Robin Sharma. And I remember reading it back in the day and just it made that click. He used the analogy of our mind like a garden and basically what we what we focus on, what we water, just like the plants grows. But if it's not tended to, and if we don't, you know, take out the negative thoughts, next thing the weeds take over and it's not so pretty. And I I remember I didn't fully understand it. I didn't have that kind of practice, but I remember someone was like, wow, that is 
that is powerful. So definitely that book um, moved something within me. And again, not to say that I started that practice or had that practice straight away. I didn't. It still took me a couple of years, <laughs> but it definitely made made an impression. And I had that first kind of openness to the power of our mind and our thoughts and actually even more than that, the idea that we, I could control them. We could control them. That was totally new to me. So that book, um, another book coming through is Dr. Joe Dispenza. I love Dr. Joe, whether becoming supernatural or breaking the habit of being yourself. I think that's essentially what we have to do in one sense. We have to unlearn all the stuff that is not us, that no longer serves us and relearn. And for me as well, it was actually begin to dream again and imagine like, actually, who do I want to be and what do I want to experience? And that was huge for me as well. I felt it really hard actually to tap into my imagination again and begin to dream, dream a new dream for myself literally couldn't do it. There was a time. So Dr. Joe Dispenza, love as well. And another one just coming in. Um, what's it called? Your word is your wand by Florence Scoville Shin. I've read a few of her books as well. And yeah, really like them. So I mean, there's so many, but they're the first three that just popped in. When you first asked me, I was like, Oh, I'll never think of three. Uh. <laughs> Thanks for sharing those. I, when I hear a book that somebody is mentioning that's had an effect on their life and I'll, I'll get a feel for it, I'll a lot of times go get it mm-hmm. and, and read it, or I, I'm more likely to listen to it yeah. instead of reading unless I'm fine. traveling and I'm on a plane and I have a lot yeah. of time to read. Changing Directions again, was there a catalyst that pushed you over the edge to get you to start exploring your inner beliefs and how to keep the ones that were empowering you and the ones that you wanted to do whatever you were going to do with that were limiting? What mm-hmm. Was there a catalyst? Was there a, one event? Was there a series of events? How did that all take place? Yeah, there was definitely an event. Um, but it's funny now I can even see, I think actually being attuned to Reiki, which again, kind of came out of nowhere for me, but I trusted I did it. I believe that was kind of the the foundation for me really to move through what I experienced. Maybe it was the year after or something like that. I, I really felt that was the the start of the opening for me of opening to new energies, looking at things differently. Again, not that I knew it at the time, but I believe that was kind of even made me more subjective to what happened afterwards. And yeah, my my kind of catalyst was a traumatic breakup where my ex sent me an email. We were living abroad sent me an email. I was at home in Ireland on just a short trip and basically was like, I can't do this anymore. He wasn't from Ireland. He wasn't from the country we're living in. And he was like, I've gone back home. I can't do this. I'll have your stuff sent back to Ireland. Never heard from him again. Cut off his phone. Didn't reply to his email. So literally in an instant, I remembered the, the absolute shock 
the physical pain in my body, I felt like I had been obliterated into a billion pieces. And I just could not stop crying. These kind of tears that, you know, when you're a child, you get so frustrated, you can't breathe from the tears, that kind of level of crying. And I went straight, I went straight to victimhood and blaming myself and thinking, what did I do wrong? Or maybe I shouldn't have said this, I shouldn't have done that, this, that and the other. And I mean, the things, the things that it, it wasn't healthy in the end. Anyway, it was completely emotional abuse. And I'd feel like I was walking on eggshells. And if I was going to talk about something or suggest doing something, I was trying to gauge like, oh, when could I say this? So he wouldn't like blow up or just shut the idea down totally. And you know, that's no way to live. But at the time, I didn't have enough self-esteem, self-confidence, self-worth to believe that actually this is not okay and I deserve so much better. And I lived in fear. I lived in fear of, well, what if this is my my only chance, you know? But anyway, that that didn't come straight away. After the was, li- was living in fear something that was comfortable, as much of an oxymoron as that yeah. sounds like? Was it something that you were used to from your childhood and your younger adult life so that it was just, just was the natural thing for you to, the natural way for you to live? Yeah, completely. Again, not that I was aware of it at the time, but it was so normal to me. And I lived, like I mentioned before, I lived in my mind. And I had the story, again, not that I was conscious of it, but I had the story of if I can overthink everything, if I can try to figure out what exactly might happen, when it might happen, different moves, I'm, I'm kind of in control. I'm safe. Nothing's going to surprise me. And that comes from a childhood trauma that now I can see I just shut down and I was terrified and I was just overly focused on the externals and constantly on high alert of I'm ready for anything you know, just, just show me kind of thing. So and that led to, again, now I can see I was so highly anxious, but it was so normal to me. I didn't know. I thought if I wasn't go, 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 if I wasn't hustling and pushing and on edge and ready to pounce into action, how was I ever going to be successful or have things happen for me and all these kind of things? So it was so normal so normal. I didn't even see it until now. I'm like, oh my God. Um, So yeah, I I lived in fear again. Not that I I knew that at the time. I didn't have those words. I definitely knew there was times when I wasn't happy and questioned like, really? Why, Why am I doing this? Why am I in this? But I lived in the hope and the potential of the other person changing that that's no way to live either. So this email came anyway, major shock, trauma. And it was really quick. I remember after that, like it was within a couple of days and I was in bed, you know, not eating, not talking to anyone, just, you know, in my own little misery pit and crying nonstop. And I remember in one of this crying hysterics fit as well, all of a sudden this immense serenity just came over me. And it was all really quick, but I do remember going, this is weird. Like, 
I was just bawling my eyes out crying. And I heard a voice. I was like, okay, Karen, you have two choices here. You stay exactly as you are, miserable, not talking to anyone, crying, trying to figure out what went wrong, blaming yourself, overanalyzing everything, going through a million and one questions, scenarios, what ifs, blah, 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 blah. Or you can accept this as your reality and move forward. And I was kind of like, just in that moment, I was like, oh yeah. I was like, this has happened. I can't unhappen it. I can absolutely drive myself insane thinking about it 24 seven, but I can't unhappen it. And it's like everything from that moment shifted. And that's not to say it was easy. It definitely wasn't, but everything shifted. And I had the realization that I'm the common denominator in my life. So if this happened and if other not so great situations, maybe in relationship happened as well beforehand, well, maybe all these things that I've read and have never put into action, maybe there's some truth in it. Maybe there is some limiting belief, some pattern, some program, some conditioning, some something within me that is creating all this. And that's when I really started walking my talk. And it's really funny as well. I would say that is the first time that I allowed myself to feel my emotions. And it's really funny because it was a very bizarre situation. So all of this was happening for me and I was trying to understand what was happening. And, you know, this when the fear and the panic and the the shock, no, it was mainly fear and panic of, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? How the story going through my head was, how am I ever going to rebuild my life? So sometimes that fear, that panic would grip me. But again, I heard the voice and was like, put your hands in your heart and just start giving thanks. And I thought it was so crazy, but I did it every time. And the more I did that, the more when those moments rose and I stayed with it and I allowed the feeling, I was actually like, wow, feelings dissipate when we feel them. They're like energy in motion. It was the greatest revelation ever to me my whole entire life because I don't think I'd ever truly felt. You know, I was kind of numb. Like I said, I, I was shut off. I was kind of numb to everything. So this was the first time that I was actually truly present, allowed my feelings. And like that, when I felt them, they passed. So this was a whole new experience for me. And then also dealing with other people's reactions of how I was reacting was really funny because they thought I was totally in denial and not dealing with it. Whereas I was like, no, for the first time in my life, I actually am. And, you know, when I'm not living in those emotions and when I allow them, they pass. And then I'm back in daily life. And I also had the other realization of, wow, this only hurts me when I remember to think about it. Back to the thoughts, create our reality. And that was huge because again, when I was in the gratitude, when I was in the daily life and it was the first time in my life as well, I wasn't denying what happened. But again, it's the reality of when I allowed the emotion, when it expressed, when I didn't stop it, it passes And then I'm back to normal life and I'm like, oh, well, I'm just sitting here with my friend having a cup of coffee and actually everything is okay. (laughs) And then the next time the, the story would start again and the fear and the panic, I would feel it. And again, it would dissipate. And I'm like, wow, but I'm actually okay. 
And the more I tapped into the gratitude as well, I'm like, I still have everything. Like I have a roof over my head. I have my health. I have, you know, movement. I da, da, da. And I was like, wow. And that's, again, that was the catalyst to really walking my talk, putting into practice everything that I learned because I realized, oh, actually understanding it intellectually is not the same as living it. <laughs> and it's only when I started exactly. living it and doing the work and taking action that things changed. Do you find with yourself and with your clients, Karen, that we need to get rid of those emotions and those memories, sometimes their childhood or from other times in our life? Or do we recognize them, acknowledge them and know that they don't have any power over us? Because mm -hmm. when we're in fear, it's been in my experience that we lose perspective, mm -hmm. we lose clarity. Yeah. And we're just in fear. And so our brain's not working right. And we're yeah. imagining all this stuff is going to happen. We're using our imagination to envision things that we don't want to happen. Mm -hmm. So how do you work with this yourself for your own life? And how do you work with your clients as far as when they have emotions or memories come up? What do you suggest that we do about those? Yeah. So... I believe, yes, we all have certain maybe traumas and unprocessed things within us that need looking at, but I don't believe we need to go looking for them, if that makes sense. So the way I work and the way it worked for me was most of us anyway live in fear. It's just the reality. Most people's nervous systems are so jacked up People are not relaxed. People are in constant fight or flight without realizing, without realizing like me. So I believe fundamentally anyway, without having to go back and without having to find the childhood route initially, I believe the body is a segue to our mind. And I believe every single person needs to clear out some of the funkiness and needs to clear out some of that fear so we can feel calmer in ourselves, in our system, in our body in the first place to even begin the deeper inner work. Because, well, it was for me anyway, I couldn't get to my mind without going through my body because it, it's quick, it's elusive. It's I didn't even know what I was thinking. And because my nervous system was all go, 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 go and fired up and I could not rest, I could not stop. I was not that person that could take a break and not feel guilty. I couldn't truly do the inner work. So I believe for 99% of people, calming the nervous system is step one. And for me, my segue, <laughs> back in the day was yoga. And I absolutely hated it. I hated every second of it because my mind was so busy that it was torture. The whole time I'd be on the bat, my mind would be like, this is so boring. What the hell is this? I could have done a million and one other things by now. Oh my God, how much longer? And it was mentally exhausting. But something happened in my body that was new for me. And I just felt this, it wasn't big. It wasn't like a, whoa, but there was just like this tiny sense of like ease or relaxation or something that again, cause I was that tense, all go and physically carried my body with a lot of tension. 
that I was like, wow, that's what kept bringing me back initially was like, what was that in my body? Like, what was that little shift or sense of ease or something? So I kept going back and kept going back and kept going back. And eventually my mind got with the program and it wasn't such of a mental battle and mental torture. And again, I think when all of that comes initially, then it opens up the world to the deeper work. And I, the way I work as well is intuitively. And if things come up, I believe that's what we need to look at. Because I also believe we can keep going back. I can keep going back and going back and going back and going back and find, finding new things to work on from the past. You know, this is the reality. Because again, energy goes where attention energy flows where attention goes. So if I keep wanting to go back and go back and go back and go back, which I did do as well, there kind of comes a time where it's like, well, is this really serving me anymore? Like, where do you draw the line? And that's why now I personally, if things come up or I'm feeling triggered by something or I, I'm having a strong emotional response, that's my piece to work with. That's my cue. So I wait for those cues to work with that information to see maybe where it's bringing me to and what might need to be healed on another level. Because again, I think there's levels from even past work we might have done. So it's it's kind of like, yes, I believe there are things we need to go back to to fundamentally heal and acknowledge. And again, that word integrate within ourselves but I kind of allow them now more to present as opposed to going with my mind and thinking, mm, what, what do I need to look at and figure out? Mm -hmm. When I am doing an energetic healing session with somebody and normally when I'm with clients, we'll talk about that. We'll talk to their dead grandmother and we'll talk to their cat that's live that's misbehaving and we'll do a medical thing and we'll maybe do a past life thing so we cram as much into an hour as mm -hmm. we can but I had someone this morning as a client who told me that she has no memories of her childhood mm -hmm. she said I said when do your memories start and she said mm, probably about 16 yeah. she said I, I just don't remember anything and it sounds like in some ways that that could be advantageous for her yeah. From what you just said that she she said, I, I just have no memory and mm -hmm. she's an only child and her parents are both gone and she doesn't have many mm -hmm. relatives, if any, she does on her husband's side, but not on her side. And I would say that normal conventional psychiatry and, and psychology would say, oh, you have to go back and you have to dig up those childhood memories. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought, why? Why do you want to relive that trauma? Yeah. What's the point? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. And that's why there's no one size fits all. Everyone is so mm -hmm. individual and different and everyone's life experiences are so individual and different. But this is also, again, the wisdom of the body and the intelligence of the body. It does what it needs to do at a time. And sometimes that means complete shutdown. That means completely blocking out the the memory, the situation, the issue, the trauma, whatever happened in order to survive. Now, if mm -hmm. someone can 
truly live their life happily that way. And I have a friend who like that, she knows stuff happens, but she's like, I, I don't want to go there. I'm not ready for it. And she is not what's the word, kind of suffering in any way as a result, as in she's really happy being oblivious. She doesn't suffer from depression. Yes, she has some, you know, negative thoughts, that voice sometimes like we all have, but she's she's on top of it. And she's like, no, I, I don't want to go there. And I believe her. I don't believe she's in denial. But then there are others who, and again, I would never force anyone to go there. But if there are issues like me or repeated patterns in your life and you're not truly happy and and you're not really sure why and maybe, you know, there's certain aspects of your life that you would like to be improved, but you just can't seem to make it work out or you keep self-sabotaging or whatever the case may be. I think if a person is in that kind of situation, again, not that we have to go back and open up, but I believe we can work on some of the thoughts and the the limiting belief stuff anyway and if they're ready or would like to open up even more they can you know again that's something that they can intuitively trust themselves as well because you know the truth is and from my own personal work and opening up to things and even doing the likes of plant medicines and the breath work because the breath work as well can blow you open I would never force it on anyone because if you're not ready, it's kind of like sometimes once you see these things or they open on another level, you can't really go back, <laughs> you know? So you you have to have, again, that desire for things to be different, a deep desire, and also have the willingness to be responsible and truly want to be responsible for your health and your healing and your well-being to put the work in because it is work. And it's not that it's it's called work and it is work. But now I believe it's so empowering, but it can be really messy. It can seem like, oh my God, you're even worse off than you ever were. But it does change and it does settle, but it does take a practice and a commitment. Because again, it, it, we're literally, it's, it's rewiring, it's, re, it's relearning a new way, it's creating new neural pathways in the brain, it's deep subconscious work that takes repetition. It's not a one hit wonder like, oh, I do this once and wow, magic, things have happened. Yeah. Yes, the shift happens yeah. like that. It is, you know, like A Course in Miracles calls it the holy instant. Yes, things shift all of a sudden in a holy instant. But because of the repetition that's gone into it. It's practice. Yes, it's a practice. Absolutely. We had a gal named Nina Monjandra on the show. It was episode 385. Mm -hmm. And she does ancestral healing. And she talks about how the wounds are oftentimes in the person's DNA. Mm -hmm. And I had heard of that before, but I didn't know much about it. And then recently I had a client who had some ancestral wounds that were affecting her from a triple great grandmother mm -hmm. on her mother's side. We got her name. We were able to corroborate that in the family tree that yeah. this woman lived. And it was really interesting because we talked telepathically to the great, 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 whatever that is, grandmother and to my client. And they 
and communicated with each other with me kind of as the interpreter mm -hmm. and it was remarkable what the wounds were of that triple great grandmother and how they correlated in my client's life. And that was a new concept to me. Do you run into that very much? Wow. No, I haven't. And I'm so grateful for the likes of you and people who can work on this level as well. And again, the more from my own learning and doing other modalities and connecting with people, I'm like, wow, we're so clueless to actually what we hold and what we might still, what might be still resonating in our system and energy field that we were not even aware of. And the only thing that I have experienced that, well, working with you as well before, but family constellation work, something that was really interesting to me. I had didn't know what it was. It was one of these things that was calling me and calling me a couple of years ago. And actually to see that in action, I was like, oh my God, this is phenomenal. So you kind of set up, say, a person who is working on their family constellation. They might be looking at a specific uh, relationship and they pick people within the group to play certain people in their family. And there's a facilitator who obviously, I don't understand it, but I was like, wow, this is so fascinating. But they pick people to play certain people within the family. And I was picked before as well. And getting up, I was kind of nervous going, oh, like, oh, how am I meant to know what to say or what to do? Or, but then there's just this energy and this sense just kind of came into me and I'd said some things. And But it's amazing what can be revealed. And this lady talks about how, you know, if people are left out of the family constellation, which everyone has somewhere back in the line, well, especially in Ireland and the mother and baby homes. And if you were pregnant outside of marriage or if there was a miscarriage, like it was never spoken about. But these leave gaps in the family, in the energetic system. And what was revealed and brought up in different people's constellations that they were maybe aware of, some weren't aware of, but then found out afterwards that, oh yeah, this did happen. And it kind of puts, gives everyone their space again in the family line that that whole energy can, and it works for up to seven years. It can kind of come back into balance and heal. And it's like that person is honored and recognized. And another part of the work is Again, these aspects of trauma and unhealed pain that we're carrying, that we're not aware of, we get to hand it back so then we can actually deal with our peace. But it's so amazing. I've got goosebumps again. Even, you know, some people's constellations and like murder and different things that came up. At the end, when everything is brought back into its wholeness, it's always pure and utter love. It's pure love, even the most horrendous act or whatever. It's just like it was it's all pure love. And it's just like, oh, wow. All spirits are pure love. And that's really hard for us to understand from our human perspective, because mm -hmm. we'll see somebody that's a oh, mass murderer or yeah. something. And we'll say, oh, he's going to go burn in the fires of hell yeah. for eternity. Well, not so much because his spirit's pure love. Yeah. This is just a role he's playing. Yeah in this lifetime.
What do you say to those that find it difficult to break the habit of placing responsibility on somebody else and playing the victim Mm. role? Is there something, is there a technique that you've come up with or some kind of a suggestion that can kind of snap people out of it or wake them up to saying, hey, wait a minute, my thoughts are creating this and we think somebody's doing something to me, but they're really not. I'm allowing it to happen. Mm-hmm. And is have you found a technique or or some other thought process that helps people get out of that mentality? Yeah. I mean, yes and no. Um, this is where, again, I believe the the kind of somatic breath work that I trained in is so hugely powerful. And I alluded to it before, that if someone is so particularly stuck in mind, and no matter what is kind of happening, they're not just having that tiny little crack or curiosity or willingness to not even willingness, sometimes ability to see something from a different perspective. I think that's where this type of breath work is huge and holds massive potential. And I've seen it again and again and again, and I've experienced it again and again and again. Other than that, though, as well, I suppose it's just kind of a a mindset and a reframe sometimes that I share. And I'm like, okay, if there is this truth that I am the God, the creator of my reality, and I truly am creating every single aspect of my life, it's like, well, one, why does it serve to blame? Although that is the absolute easier option. And the thing about creation reality is, Again, I think it's formative from what we experience in our first seven years of life and the programming and conditioning we pick up and what we experience, that's where we're unconsciously creating from. So it's not like we're consciously choosing, you know, to be in this crappy relationship again or to get fired from our job again or whatever the case is. We're not consciously choosing. And I think that's a part that people, you know, often struggle with because they're like, well, if I'm the creator of everything, why would I create this? And it's like, exactly. That is the question. Why would you create it? And the thing is, you're not, you know, life is either happening by design or by default. For most of us, it's default unless we're willing to take that responsibility piece and it comes to the responsibility and I know for me because I still get triggered there's still things that happen I still judge I still you know get annoyed or whatever the case is and it's okay you know I'm human I have these feelings but when something happens and I want to go into victimhood or blame that's available to me and it's all a practice but I feel it and then I'm like well this makes me feel really it's crap. It makes me feel helpless. It makes me feel at the mercy of other people and other things and generally just doesn't make me feel good. Whereas if I flip it and if I have the curiosity and I'm like, okay, what if, what if there is something within me that is creating this? And what if I am willing to take responsibility and to look at this in a kind of non-judgmental different perspective way well that for me as well I'm like that makes me feel empowered because then I'm like okay I'm not such a victim it doesn't mean it's pleasant it doesn't mean I enjoy it but it means the power is back in my hands and I'm actually not at the mercy of everything and everyone but that's the self-responsibility piece as well to 
accept that. And again, there's a whole piece, I believe, like we've spoken about, calming the nervous system, learning to take a pause and slow down in the first place to even be open to the possibility of maybe there's something within me. You know, because the truth is, it actually is easier to stay in blame and victimhood, but ultimately at its core, it's so disempowering. For me, anyway, it's like, why? Why would I choose to stay this way when I know that if I'm willing, I can change something within me that will change everything about the potential situation? I agree. Couple last questions as we're winding down. Why do you think we incarnate? Oh, wow. It's a really good question. And especially literally just this morning. No, it was last night. I was literally just thinking that same question between what's going on in the world right now at the moment and all the poor migrants that are passing through Mexico trying to get to the States and reading about some of their horrendous travels and situations they have to go through. And I'm just like, why? Like, what is this all about? And why do I live this experience and, you know, have my health and privilege? And then other people go through such horrendous, traumatic, you know, war tone, killing other people events. It's just like mind boggling. But I do believe then on a higher level and believing that we are all spirit and I am a spirit having a human experience. And for some reason, I chose to incarnate. And I believe part of it is to experience and to feel, you know, like I was so afraid of emotions, but now it's like, oh my God, this is the gift. You know, it's being able to feel the full expression of emotions, which sometimes is that heart wrenching, heart breaking, like such tough emotions. But again, it's such a gift to work through that and still choose light and still choose love and to still see the beauty and believe there is beauty everywhere. And actually that this can be heaven on earth. This can be an incredible experience that we all choose for one reason or another to come here and live. As Dolores Cannon calls it as well, this is our school. You know, we don't need to go to school this whole thing is our school to learn lessons. And I believe it's it's coming back to, again, having, having the gift of allowing spirit, consciousness, God, source, whatever it is, to have this experience through me in this plane as well. Because I believe that consciousness is going through all of us. And trying no matter how hard and dark things get to keep finding the light and to keep coming back to love. And again, that's that's my own individual work. The harder things get in the outside, yes, I can get swamped by fear, but I'm like, no, this this is me. I'm going to cleanse this, channel this for me so I can bring more light and peace to to the world as well. And so who knows why we're on this spinning globe, really. But I believe it's it's an experience and an experience that we all chose to have. And I believe part of this journey in school is that awakening while we're alive. It's It's waking up to the truth of us while we're alive. And it's natural as well that what's happening is happening. 
Because again, that to me proves the power that we hold as humans. We're literally creating all the time. It is the consciousness and what we're choosing to focus on grows. So if we constantly live in fear, of course, that's going to be a reality as well that presents. So yeah, be have the best experience, be the kindest person you can and feel all the things for yourself. Great advice. How do people find you? How do they learn more about you and the work that you're doing? Yeah. So my website, everything, all my handles are basically just my name, karenmaloney.com or Karen Maloney on Instagram or Karen Maloney Inside Out Coach on Facebook, but I'm probably more active on Instagram. And that's where I have just upcoming breathwork journeys. I do them online and different bits there. I have a podcast as well, Curiosity and Consciousness, that I had the pleasure of you joining me a couple of times. I'm on a bit of a hiatus at the moment, but there's so many incredible conversations there as well. And I am so grateful to have the platform of a podcast to be able to connect with wonderful people like you who also gave me more confidence in my journey and what I believed and what felt true for me when you see so many others doing it as well. It's like, oh, yeah, Maybe it's okay that I'm the black sheep. Didn't come here to fit in, you know, and we we can. There are a lot of us black sheep. Black yeah, sheep. but there is. And it's like everything exists. Everything already exists. But it's are we willing to do the work and to connect to it and put our consciousness on it? And yeah, it's all possible. Exactly. Thank you for taking the time to join us and to share so much of your wisdom with us during this time. I was telling someone about you yesterday and I said, she's just darling and she's so wise. And I just think you're a fascinating combo platter of wisdom and grace and loveliness. And I, I really appreciate you and the work that you do and, and I appreciate you taking the time with us this week. So everybody sending you lots of love from sweet home, Alabama mwah, and from mm-hmm. Mexico too, where this Irish girl is hanging out right now. Yeah. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan. And like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.